As rural hospitals work to provide the best quality care for their patients while maintaining financial solvency, programs like 340B, which makes drugs more affordable, can make or break their ability to do that. But 340B is currently under threat from the pharmaceutical industry and others who would like to see it scaled back or discontinued altogether. So, how do rural hospitals navigate the potential change of these programs? With direct advocacy, pointed conversations, and bold determination. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hutchire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 63 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hutchire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, so Rachel, we've often talked about the various programs that provide cost savings or Uh, what we say are funding increases to rural hospitals, and that's in part due to the unique nature of the environment in which we operate as rural hospitals. Uh, But we're focusing specifically on the 340B program, which provides major cost saving uh, to rural hospitals in the area of pharmaceuticals. That's right. And today we're talking with someone who oversees this program for us right here at Hillsdale Hospital. That's right. Today he's a myth, a legend, and a good friend of ours. (laughs) And uh, he was a myth uh, during uh, COVID because, my goodness, uh, we had you you busy, didn't we? You did. And uh, we couldn't find you many times because you were (laughs) so busy. Uh, And you single-handedly, Jeff, were at every COVID vaccination clinic in Hillsdale County that we sponsored. That's incredible. And some from the health department. And some from as well. the health department. I yeah. know we volunteered a couple times there as well. And I want to just thank you so much for your participation. And um, so you're not only a guest here today, uh, Jeff Kaufman, who's the director of our pharmacy for Hillsdale Hospital, but you also come to us as a true and tested friend uh, of Hillsdale Hospital and having served during one of the most critical times, at least in my career in healthcare, uh, which was the COVID pandemic. So I want to welcome you to Rural Health Rising uh, and this is your first time. This is. Rural Health Rising. It's great to have you here. And honestly, I couldn't believe it when I was looking at our schedule and I was like, wait, we've never had Jeff on the podcast? What? I know. Because you've joined us for our Facebook Live that we do yes. every week um, that, you know, our listeners may not be familiar with. It's more geared toward our local community. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had you on there all the time, I think even just two weeks ago. But the fact that we've never had you on the podcast, I could not believe it. Well, I think, you know, Rachel, trusted voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff has no political agenda. And what he was able to walk us through during the pandemic was really just some common sense steps, you know, for how to get shots in arms. Mm -hmm. And uh, he worked with the state of Michigan, uh, obviously, in ensuring that we received our allocations uh, and just, you know, represented rural hospital, uh, you know, hospitals in general uh, very well in in making sure that our communities were protected. So uh, it's great to have you here, Jeff. So besides being one of the smartest people I know, Jeff, um, to start, (laughs) truly, because what I love about Jeff is he likes to read all the studies and get all the information for himself. So when I'm asking Jeff his professional opinion on things, it's not just from the conclusion of his professional association or just from the expertise he already has. He's really Mm -hmm. digging into everything. So I'm excited to talk about this topic today. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? Well, um, this is my second career as a pharmacist. Hmm. My first career was mostly on the retail side and a little bit of hospital consulting um, and took a leap of faith, um, got out of the retail world and came here a little over three years ago and have been with the pharmacy and 
the hospital ever since and love it. Yeah, so you don't get a discount on retail, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that was a different phase of your life. And I, I don't know, I, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you the question. A little bit better mission-driven here at a hospital-based uh, pharmacy, isn't it? A lot better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you get some time. I know that you do some grand rounds at times and that you get a chance to interact with patients and families. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with our physicians and uh, our nurses to make sure that there's appropriate medications. Uh, and then you were very instrumental in our Omnicell uh, implementation and, and ensuring that, you know, med reconciliation was uh, implemented here at the hospital. So you've done quite a bit. So uh, I know that you've kind of understated what you do, but <laughs> it's really a tremendous amount of work that you do. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. And we do this on every episode. Uh, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So Jeff, what is your why? What motivates you and what gets you up out of bed in the morning? I guess the why is you got to get up and you have to enjoy what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, in this case, while I don't live in Hillsdale, I can give back to the community. Mm-hmm. I've been with the community, especially through COVID, mm-hmm. um, at all the events and everything. Um, and it gives you a sense that you're giving back, you're helping people. And even if somebody doesn't agree with some of your medical technique, mm-hmm. but they're asking anything that can benefit them. And the going back to the just being able to get up in the morning and loving what you do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the 340B program is critically important to our ability to provide great care to our community and also to our bottom line financially. But let's get the background on this first. So because I myself have kind of a high level understanding um, and maybe even higher than high level, like maybe just a tiny little understanding of the 340B program and how it works. So can you walk us through that? What is it? How does it work? It is a governmental program. Um, The overall premise is to allow... Um, hospitals uh, to save money on the drugs that we purchase, and that is um, by far the largest expense of the pharmacy that I have to deal with, Mm -hmm. Um, but get cost savings um, from the manufacturers that we can in turn turn around and use that to help take care of our community. Um, The manufacturers um, get all sorts of rebates generally Mm -hmm. from the government, Mm -hmm. from um, other entities, and with some of those rebate dollars that they get, those dollars they should be decreasing if they participate with Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, then they are by contract in 340B, and some of those savings then get passed on to the hospitals if you meet the requirements to participate in 340B. You know, so generally speaking, do pharmaceuticals like this type of program? Uh, what is, you know, has there been pushback in that realm? The last two and a half years, um, there were six major drug companies yeah. that started not allowing the discounts, yeah. which is a breach of contract. Okay. They're going against the um, CMS rulings um, and other um, smaller man- drug manufacturers mm-hmm. have seen that they have been able to do this. And um, right now there are 23 companies as of last um, count that are decreasing. They're picking and choosing what they will and will not give discounts. And they are trying to dictate that there is a thing called contract pharmacy. Mm-hmm. 
So if one of our patients comes to our ER Mm -hmm. um, and then goes to a pharmacy that we contract with, um, the hospital can, out of the 340B program, receive additional discount dollars Mm -hmm. from that. And it's a a shared relationship with the retail pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And the manufacturers are now trying to limit hospitals to one pharmacy Mm -hmm. instead of, and, and for our example, um, we generally participate with all of the um, uh, retail pharmacies in the area, plus mm-hmm. a couple in the cold mm-hmm. water area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Rachel, when I was chief operating officer here, my job was to actually implement the 340B program with our CFO. And uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, you have to go and you know get contracts with each of these pharmacies. Um, it's, it's kind of a labor-intense process, Jeff, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and and before we talk about its impact, 340B on Hillsdale Hospital, what I want to just remind our listeners, not everybody qualifies right. for 340B. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not given to all hospitals. In fact, you know, the criteria, there's four or five criteria, and you have to have disproportionate share hospital, which we are. We're a dish uh, hospital. Uh, you have to be a sole community hospital. That's also a requirement. Um, or a, a rule, what they call a rural referral center. Uh, you have to be either that or a children's hospital. Um, and then also applicable this year as of March 15th, I believe, of 2022, under uh, Section 121 of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, uh, they are allowing freestanding cancer hospitals to participate in this program. And that's huge for cancer centers. It really is. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't apply to everybody, but what right. it does is it provides an opportunity for rural communities. And we're often told by accountants and consultants who come to Hillsdale, you need to be participating in 340B. And we really never understood the depth of that. But Jeff, I, I want to ask you, you know, what, why is it a program like 340B so important to us here in Hillsdale? Um, but then, you know, beyond Hillsdale, why just rule in general? Well, your rural communities generally have less dollars and less support for your hospitals. Uh, a large hospital the Ascension Group, or any one of the larger groups, they have a lot of funding coming from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a rural hospital, we're one of the few that's still around, and we're standing alone. So every penny counts for us. Yeah. And in this case, um, saving the money and getting it back into the hospital to help our community is huge. It is. So before 340B was put into place, what was different for hospitals that are now eligible for it, what did what did life look like prior to 340B? The drug cost itself was much larger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a drug spend for a pharmacy department to cover the entire hospital, that would be one of, even looking at a payroll at times, mm-hmm. um, that would be one of the big factors of what a hospital could and could not do. Right. Because some of these medications are so expensive that a hospital might not be able to afford enough um, to have on hand. Mm -hmm. And then if it's covered by an insurance company, you might get an administration in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But to actually have the funding to go purchase those medications, Mm -hmm. and you're, you're talking 
sometimes a, a drug that could be is if it's a specialty drug, $100,000 or more. It's incredible. Wow. You know, I had the chance to also oversee oncology for a very brief period of time. We were doing our infusion center. Just amazed at the number of drugs that were 50, 60, 75, $125,000. Yes. All it takes is one mistake, as we know, in the mixing compounding of those yes. drugs to, to really impact your bottom line. Oh, yeah. But beyond that— No pressure, Jeff. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> Rachel, beyond that, it's it's the idea or the concept that when we start talking about rule, you know, and Jeff, to his point, said the big systems, they have a lot of operating margin, right? Right. I mean, they have a lot of money, and mm-hmm. uh, they can negotiate, uh, you know, with their payers, better better reimbursements. We don't have that luxury. So, right. so here in rural communities and, and our rural counterparts that are listening today, uh, you know, the reality is we're serving 40, 50 percent of our patient volume is Medicaid. And if you add Medicaid and Medicare in, you're looking at 70 Mm percent in a lot of our rural communities, 70 percent or even a little higher. Oh, yeah. In those rural communities, uh, very poor. And so programs like 340B are set up with the intent of helping rural hospitals get these drugs to the patients. Right. And that's really what's at heart here. It's not about Hillsdale Hospital making extra money or those types mm-hmm. of things. I think it's important for our listeners to remember the critical nature of serving in a rural environment. Uh, in in particular, as you look at it, can you afford the drugs that you're dispensing? Right. And to get these, you know, we're not going to call them uplifts, but to get these type of reimbursements, discounts, discounts guess, right? are so important, you know, to the operations. And it's just as a, as a CEO, you know, it keeps me up at night is what what can our patients afford? Mm-hmm. What can I make sure that I'm giving my patients that will meet the full continuum of care? And programs like this just really immensely help us. So, Jeff, if you could put a a percentage or maybe even a dollar figure on this, what how much money are we saving with the 340B program? Prior to COVID, mm-hmm. you were looking at probably about a million and a half dollars. Wow. Um, with COVID, uh, because we saw a um, decrease in um, some surgeries and just our, our med surge, our general um, population that mm-hmm. was coming in, um, it did dip down. It is going back up, and we are still growing our contract pharmacy mm-hmm. um, site, and now people are going out um, utilizing the retail sites as well, so we are seeing that start to rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're climbing back up there. But those are all savings dollars that we can put back into the community. Right. Right. So this brings us to our, uh, you know, part of why this is extra important right now is, um, you know, like you said, there are some pharmaceutical companies who have just decided, "Uh, I'm not going to follow the rules. And what you permit, you promote. So if nothing is being done to enforce those contracts that they are breaching, then, of course, you've got other companies that are like, oh, cool. Well, we'll do that, too. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on? How how did this happen? How did this get started? And, um, you know, what could this mean for hospitals like ours moving forward, even outside of any regulation changes? If this continues, where these companies start, you know, basically just saying too bad and just do whatever they want, regardless of the program. Well, the premise behind that was um, larger drug companies were looking at ways to save money. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things which is legitimate is um, some of those drug companies were stating that 
um, a hospital was double dipping on their savings. Okay. So they would get their 340B savings, and then they would also get another insurance company rebate back that they might have some sort of um, plan with. So if they are contracted with a PBM, they mm-hmm. might get additional discounts, and you cannot do that under the program. Right. Um, the director of 340B has to do countless weekly, monthly, biannual um, audits, and they're pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, we make sure that we are following all the rules, um, that we don't have any, um, as they call it's called diversion, mm-hmm. where you might get two discounts. Right. If you do, you have to report it. Mm-hmm. The money has to be paid back, and you're on the up and up. But some of these drug companies, at least in my mind and what I've seen, have taken it too far. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are some bad players out there, but for a hospital our size, we're being penalized as well as other hospitals because there are a lot of very expensive drugs, mostly brand name drugs, mm-hmm. that they are saying, well, the discount that we were giving you, we're either going to cut that back mm-hmm. by their random percent, or we're not even going to allow it. And they tell the wholesalers then, mm-hmm. um, you may not, no longer you have to take that off their list because they are not going to allow that to pass through. Um, the way CMS has it written, if a drug company um, is participating that they are getting some dollars back from um, Medicare and mm-hmm. Medicaid, then they are automatically enrolled in 340B. They don't get a choice. Right. They are making a conscious decision to breach that contract at this right. point. So now who's double dipping, you know, <laughs> because they're getting money from CMS and they're supposed to be basically giving mm-hmm. money to us by giving us the discount, except they're keeping both their money to charge us and then also keeping the money from CMS. So what is has CMS said anything about this? I mean, what mm-hmm. is what's going on? Yeah. What, wh- how is it continuing? Let me ask it that way. CMS has had made a ruling mm-hmm. that it has been brought to CMS. It has been brought to legislators that uh, what has been going on um, uh, and our our state pharmacy association has had some of our legislators into pharmacies showing them. This is what it was before. Mm-hmm. Here are invoices. Here are some of the drug companies that are no longer allowing this. Um, but the impact at this point in time um, financially is huge on the downside that you're not saving it. Mm-hmm. The drug companies are just ignoring the, the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And right. so far, even though CMS has said this is breach of contract, you will be fined. Money will be paid back to the entities that should have got the savings. There have been no teeth at at this point for the last almost two and a half years. So it's a a strongly worded letter and a finger wag. Yeah. Uh, Not even – yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, interestingly – so so 340B has been around 25 years. Um, and you know the the discussion I think now has shifted more to the enforcement arm of it because remember to participate in 340B it's got to be serving the Medicaid you know population right. so looking at it in in regards to Medicaid you know Jeff do you ever anticipate that some pharmaceuticals are just going to say we're no longer going to participate in Medicaid? There is a possibility, um, but. 
if they no longer participate with that, um, then I guess the question is who is going to be using their right. medications? Right. Mm-hmm. In rural communities specifically. Right. Right. And they, I, right now they are picking and choosing drugs, but to pick and choose an insurance and that, that, that remains to be seen. But yeah. I've seen some stranger things happen. Yeah. And Rachel, just to let you know, I know that the AHA, the American mm-hmm. Hospital Association, has been involved in this issue for decades. Right. And they, they have actually an advocacy uh, statement that they have on, on their website, which talks a lot about this. And they did a little research mm-hmm. before we had Jeff on. Is that the one Jeff I've on. been reading? Has it been the AHA position? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. With so a, some different bullet yeah, points and things? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And yep. it's, you know, I would just encourage our, our listeners to go to AHA website yeah, if they're interested. Yeah, it's very helpful. Very helpful. It really identifies. And, and when you told me yesterday we're going to have Jeff on, I just... I went back and familiarized myself with a lot of this because I'd been out of it for years. But, you know, certainly uh, it, it is a great program that impacts rural communities. And it's you always hear about it on the chopping block, too. Have you ever right. noticed that? Oh, I mean, yeah. Congress is, mm-hmm. you know, always mm-hmm. talking about it. But uh, it always, thank goodness, every every year through the appropriations, you know, we do see that it comes back and it comes back. And I think it's very valuable. And even though the pharmaceutical arm is very strong, uh, they can't flex enough, at least yet, where they're impacting this change in legislation from from Act uh, 340B. Right. Um, so that's a good for us. Now, how that will continue into the future as pharmaceuticals get, you know, more I guess, have more authority and and mm-hmm. flex their muscles a little bit more. I don't know. I think it's going to be the fight of our lives. Um, you know, but I remember a consultant once told us that hospitals that have a 340B program are more likely to survive this environment and not close mm-hmm. their doors. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I have found that the, a lot of the hospitals that have closed are programs who could have had 340B but never chose to go mm-hmm. after it because it's mm-hmm. a lot of work. Right. Entering negotiating contracts. And then the auditing process, Rachel, I remember what that was like early <laughs> on. Yikes. There was more auditing of us as a hospital, I think, than there was of the pharmaceuticals for participation in the yes. program. Yes. And and have you been through a HRSA audit? We sir, we more than survived. We yeah. came through the HRSA audit with flying colors. Yeah, that's about a year ago, right? Uh, just under a year ago, yeah. yes. And we actually hired a consultant to walk us through because Mm -hmm. we had heard all these horror stories about paybacks and clawbacks. And we're like, oh, boy. we got to make sure this is all. Yeah. Sadly, Rachel, you know, CMS can do that. But for the pharmaceutical side, very little uh, is being done to make sure that they're in compliance, which is very concerning for us. And I think there's ever an opportunity for us to advocate to our legislators in Washington, D.C. It's really over this issue. Well, and I guess my question is, if... If CMS is making, I mean, not necessarily making them whole Mm -hmm. with the discounts they give us compared to what CMS gives them, I imagine CMS is not giving them exactly the same amount back. But in terms of not having any enforcement, their enforcement should be their purse. Why are they not just cutting off those or are they cutting off those payments to pharmaceuticals, but the pharmaceuticals don't care? No, they're not cutting the payments. No, and and that because CMS is not a regulatory body, right. it does hold purse strings. Right. But unfortunately, at this point, um, as JJ said, they will go back after the provider entities, the hospitals, and they'll take money back or say, if you messed up, you double dipped then you have to pay a drug manufacturer back. But on the flip side, the drug manufacturers right now aren't being 
um, told and forced by any means um, to just hold to the bargain, mm-hmm. hold to the um, agreement, agreement yeah. that um, they've signed up with. And Absolutely. CMS's only threat is we're going to fine you, not we're going to stop giving you what we're giving oh, you. No. Yeah, yeah not, not unfortunately. And so until there's a little more teeth into that, small rural communities who can't enter uh, contract negotiations with these pharmacies, you know, they're subjected to potentially not even implementing the program. Right. And that's where the issue of concern has been for advocacy for mm-hmm. us. Now, we've had a great relationship with pharmacies in our community. Absolutely. And uh, they have been phenomenal with mm-hmm. us. Wouldn't you mm-hmm. agree, Jeff? Absolutely, yes. And, and, I, and I think, we, you know, the big chains. I mean, it's all the big chains that we're working with. And I think it's legitimate that we can call them by name, but Walgreens, mm-hmm. Rite Aid, those places, Walmart, um, they've, they've been very responsive to and us. And we have, and, and Kroger is part of Kroger. our group as mm-hmm. well. Um, and they do get some cost savings on their end participating, and they're giving back for, to their community. Right. By That's doing a big right. piece. That's a right. big piece is that contribution back. So if I'm understanding this correctly, Jeff, the pharmaceutical companies have independently decided <laughs> that hospitals are double dipping. Y'all can tell I'm getting a little hot. This kind of stuff <laughs> makes me mad. They've go, independently go decided go that these hospitals are double dipping. Not only that, they have also independently decided that they are going to uh, change what they're doing because some hospitals might be trying to get additional rebates from insurance companies. So they've decided that now they are judge, jury, and executioner, if you will. Before he answers that, Rachel, can I read you the most, I think, pointed, bulleted point in the HA? Yes, please. All right. Here it is. Drug manufacturers are undermining the program. Yes. This, this is this is there. And to your point, let me just read this real quick. Some drug manufacturers have here unilaterally right. stopped providing discounts to 340B drugs in, in contract pharmacies, violating the 340B statute. This illegal action threatens the integrity of the 340B program and the savings on which covered entities rely to provide care to millions or low-income Americans. This move is especially outrageous considering hospitals are currently responding to immense financial difficulties and challenges posed by the COVID-19 public health emergency. I think that says it all right there. It really does. It really does. It's just infuriating to me to think that this is happening, but there's no consequence. Unfortunately you not. You know, like, again, like, we're on, the, we're the one, I mean, we're not sitting here paying our CEOs $20 million like some of these pharmaceutical companies are. $10 million. Oh, right. Okay, 20, yeah, it's half $5 million, $1 million. <laughs> Right, yeah, half exactly. Half a million. Yeah, in okay. the millions. All right, right, right. right. Yet, Ain't and, no and, we're, and we're striving to exist, yet we're the ones who are actually being scrutinized in participation of this program. So, what gives? Like, this is just ridiculous. And the drug companies have a a power mm-hmm. um, because of their size, their right. finance. Mm-hmm. Um, they have power. And until – and it's got to be our lawmakers mm-hmm. that take it, do the people's work. And in this case, it's their constituents in their communities that are suffering because of this. And – they do have – the drug companies have a legitimate um, argument that, yes, there were some bad players and probably still are that are taking discounts um, intentionally 
um, to put money back into their pockets. But it's not so widespread to just unilaterally say, no, we're not going to give Mm -hmm. these discounts. And the sad part is on any given week, I get a letter from a manufacturer stating that we're no longer going to be discounting this drug at this percent, or maybe they're not going to discount it at all. Your wholesaler has been notified, um, and they're getting away with it. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, the American Hospital Association sued. They're the ones who actually filed the suit, if you remember. Yes. uh, And representing hospitals like ours. Uh, that in order to what they said was at that time improve transparency, um, there needed to be better oversight. And so then uh, HRSA uh, issued their final rule, uh, which strengthened the oversight that they have, obviously, of the 340B program as a result of AHA representing hospitals like ours. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the critical juncture at that point was that that the drug companies had to be responsive, the pharmaceuticals, uh, in meeting the the federal requirements of this program. And they knew that that was not happening. So the AJ said, we're going to represent small hospitals across America. And now it's finding the teeth, Rachel. And right. I think if our listeners are out there today, talk to your congressional leaders. Right. Talk to them about the, the, the importance of making sure that small rural hospitals are able to sustain their hospitals through participation in the 340B. Right. I mean, I want to say it has to come down to a public shaming of the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies, yeah. but they get publicly shamed all the time and they don't care. Yeah. So or, you know, it doesn't make big differences that I can see. But engaging with, you know, local, um, not local, but your direct representatives who can have an impact on this issue is critical because, mm-hmm. you know, we are tend to be very adamant that people need to follow the law in this country, yeah, yeah. unless they're a pharmaceutical company in the middle right. of a pandemic well, trying to stiff rural hospitals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Right? So good times. So I'm going to go take a nap after this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do it's need to so take a nap. It's so frustrating. It is. Um, so, you know, in addition to that, you know, engaging directly um, as hospitals with legislators and those who can have an Mm -hmm. impact on this. Um, What else can we do? What else can be done? And Jeff, for a pharmacist in particular, if a pharmacist is at a rural hospital that's, you know, facing this issue, what can they be doing? What's the role that pharmacists can have that, you know, JJ as a hospital CEO or myself overseeing governmental affairs, we can't necessarily do the same kind of things you can do because we don't live it every day. One is educating yourselves. Um, Uh, Also for pharmacists, um, putting a plug in for pharmacists associations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on several committees for the Michigan Pharmacy Association. So we have inroads to our legislators, um, but it is also a way to get the word out. And um, we have, unfortunately, we don't have the clout that the AMA would have, Mm -hmm. but the pharmacy associations in each state – Going from we have local associations and then um, mid-state and then a full state. So we've got groups of pharmacists that all part well, hospital-wise, mm-hmm. the groups of hospital pharmacists that participate in 340B. And um, one of the committees I'm on is a third-party committee, which mm-hmm. then also addresses this mm-hmm. as well. Right. And then we get that word out. Um, to our association, other states, and then work with our legislators. Um, but the bottom line is 
Um, there, we need to do the education. We need to do the talking. But there has to be some teeth in this to right. to get the drug manufacturers to comply. So, you know, Jeff, uh, we could probably talk forever about the mechanics of 340B and uh, its history and, and where we've been and where we're going. But what I want to do is shift in a conversation relative to 340B. But first, you know, as we look at it, uh, during COVID-19, you know, you were our superhero. Uh, Rachel and I described those early on events at the college and other places as like rock concerts. Everybody wanted a ticket to get in. I mean, and you with, were the headliner. You were. <laughs> you were playing bass, and, and you know, I was singing. Rachel, what were you doing as part of the band? Um, sitting pregnant, very pregnant at a That's table, right. registering were, people you? for their That's second right. appointments. You were, you were at the groupie box selling uh, paraphernalia. All right. I was selling so, merch. Thank yeah. you, merch. She was our merchant. So um, ultimately, you know, we, we talked about uh, the, the sheer number of people that wanted the vaccine early on that we just didn't have enough for. But, um, you know, your job as a pharmacist was the critical piece because you were making sure that we had the vaccinations. And so I I want our listeners to know a little bit, what was life like as a pharmacist during COVID-19? Both from the vaccine perspective and from treating a novel virus perspective, because that's like two different sides of the same thing. It is. Well, and when COVID first came about, nobody knew much of it. Um, so it was and still is a learning curve mm-hmm. experience, but um, everything was new. Um, in my previous life, I've done massive vaccination events, mostly for flu. Um, but this you had to be more careful because it, you've got a contagious disease. Mm-hmm. We had to um, make sure that everybody coming in was safe, right. spaced apart. Um, everything was set up that we could move uh, a large amount of people um, at the college um, in and out and um, keep them safe while mm-hmm. they're still getting vaccinated. And then moving a lot of vaccine um, from ultra low freezer, getting it there, getting it prepared, and then giving it. Um, and then I guess the other thing is um, what I have seen and helped in in some other vaccine clinics, um, just the preparation and organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We had several meetings that we all, everybody knew kind of what they were doing. We -hmm. were very organized. um, And just from my past background, I got there along with um, the head of security at the break of dawn, Mm -hmm. got Mm -hmm. in there, started going, getting things ready. But as we got prepared, we were able to, get people in and we never had these huge lines of people no. just waiting. Right. It, it was it moved yeah. very quickly. It was. I just I, I I just sometimes amazed thinking about how quick we pulled it all together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from the registration portal that you created to you name it. And so Jeff yeah. you were instrumental in that. But you know as as we talk about 340B, was there any impact that COVID had in our participation with 340B in general? Um COVID slowed things down um, as far as what's called contract pharmacies with the retail because people weren't necessarily going to the pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Um, They started, if they had a mail order option, they were getting some things delivered or sometimes it was being delivered by pharmacies Mm -hmm. just so they didn't have to go out. Um, And we were seeing a lower volume in our emergency room 
of patients just coming in. If they didn't need to be in there or even for certain things that they were putting off, so that brought down the the 340B savings dollars. Mm -hmm. Because it's predicated on the volume being purchased, Mm -hmm. yes, and then that's going to be the impact of how much is being saved overall. Um, so if if I'm listening to this podcast and I know nothing about 340B because no one has ever talked to me about it, maybe I'm a new CEO, uh, maybe I'm a chief operating officer listening, what steps can I take to get into this program, Jeff? Um, probably the first thing is you want to talk to your pharmacy director or one of the pharmacists there. It doesn't have to be the director. Mm-hmm. Um you have to look up what are the base requirements. Does your hospital meet those requirements that you can participate in sure. there? If you do, um, at that point, there is a process that you'll have to work with your finance department mm-hmm. to make sure financially that you can apply for that. And then you figure out one of those four, well, now five with cancer mm-hmm. oncology, one of those five categories that you would fit into, and then you apply. Um, at this point, if you meet those categories, mm-hmm. um, you apply, and then it's about a three-month turnaround time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, once you are approved, um, the first part is you get savings at the hospital level. Right. So for our patients, that would be um, coming in for surgery, outpatient, um, you get certain savings dollars. Um, and then uh, you can also look at the contract pharmacy. So patients coming into your emergency room, um, maybe you have doctors that have clinics and that are hospital-related, and they're taking prescriptions and going out to the retail world. You'll get those savings dollars as well. Um, but the main thing is start, are you eligible? Then mm-hmm. you're going to have to get the finance team, um, your pharmacy team, And then you also have to have some, um, I guess, inroads to some of your local politicians Mm -hmm. because you will need at least one local politician that vouches um, for the community and signs off on that. It's hard to believe our time has come to a close. Uh, Jeff, I want to thank you, first of all, for all that you have done for Hillsdale Hospital our community, and most importantly, our patients during COVID-19 for your relentless uh, advocacy uh, to make sure that we get shots in arms. I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for joining us today, first time ever on Rural Health Rising. You know, you're a guest, like Rachel said, on a lot of our other programs, but it's really great to have you here today. So I want to thank you for joining us and uh, certainly uh, go forth and fight the good fight, my friend. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So, Jeff, we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? I have gotten to help some folks, which I never really got to do in my previous life. Um, And I do volunteer myself for other community events. Um, But I got to do a home visit to give a vaccination mm-hmm. to a 90-year-old or 98-year-old lady. Wow. Now, JJ had to pay me <laughs> <laughs> not to go, but um, when I was there, um, she didn't have a whole lot of family. No. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about a, 
it was about an hour and a half, I think. But, was it really? <laughs> um, the, the pharmacy was going to send a search party out to find me. <laughs> but um, it was something that uh, after she got her vaccination, we just started talking. The time just melted away. Yeah. But it was special, I think, for her. But for me, after at the end of the day, I was able to give back more and yeah. just be part of the community. And um, it was incredible. something when I got home, I said, my wife is a nurse, mm-hmm. and she gets to do some of this and what she, she deals with oncology patients, mm-hmm. going home visits. Yeah. But it was something I kind of got what she does and just mm-hmm. get to talk to the patient. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible because we made a lot of home visits. We did. Um, I, you were there when we— um, Presented a— Yeah, tribute. Yes. Uh, to someone who was very, um, very kind to the hospital and uh, just, a, just a wonderful person. Um, and we have vaccinated 96-year-olds. I believe she was mm-hmm. 96. Uh, and we've also gone into the homes when we started our vaccination uh, clinic. We, we wanted to go on the road. And right. so we actually, my wife, in fact, mm-hmm. a registered nurse, started traveling around mm-hmm. the county, going to places where our population, this community, have no transportation and was administering the vaccinations in homes. So all of that's a, a consorted effort by you, Jeff, Rachel, and our team here. And man, it's just, it's great to see this community come together for such uh, a terrible time as COVID and to really have some positive results from that. So once again, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hotshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Jeff Kaufman, Director of Pharmacy at Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. 